0: The book of Mark, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, are you guys ready? Mark chapter 1, verse 29 is where we're going to go. Before we do that, let's have a quick recap as to where we're at in this whole uh, crazy story. So... um, the book of Mark was written by a fellow named Mark. Um, he was a disciple of Peter. He was not, he was not a, an initial disciple of Jesus himself. He was a disciple of Peter. And it took about 100 years before anyone even figured out uh, for sure that it was this Mark that wrote the book of Mark. It was, um, it was one of those books, those letters, those, those tellings of stories that traveled around with the other synoptic gospels and told the story of Jesus as it was witnessed by Peter and uh, a little bit by Mark, which we'll learn later in the book. But as, as we've seen so far, if you've been following along in the series, chapter one has been huge so far. Chapter one has been absolutely huge. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and all of a sudden, the, the heavens ripped open and, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he goes and fasts for 40 days and is tempted in the wilderness. And during that wrestling time, he, he kind of builds strength. And when he comes out of that, he starts building his team. So Jesus is now building his team and uh, putting his disciples into place, coming up with a little bit of a, a plan as to how things are going to play out for the future. And as we learned last week, Jesus starts taking preaching dates. And um, he takes one in the temple and is in the, the, the Jewish section. And so he's in there with the re- religious elite and uh, chosen people of God. And all of a sudden, a guy manifests a demon and, um, and calls Jesus out. And so Jesus deals with said demon. Um it's kind of a an interesting piece of scripture that we're about to go into this morning because Jesus is coming off of a ministry day and I don't know if you have a pastor in your family or if you are a pastor and you've you've kind of lived the the public speaking life or you've You've delivered a message or that type of thing or, or done some ministry experience that was a little bit tiring for you. Um, to put it into perspective, as we read through the Gospels, Jesus took naps. Jesus went and prayed alone. Jesus went and recharged by himself often. There, there's a science to public speaking. And if you know any pastors, you will know that there's something sacred that happens on a Sunday afternoon. It's called a nap. And it's a beautiful thing. And I I remember growing up and being like, why does dad sleep so much on Sundays? I just didn't get it. Why doesn't he want to hang out with me? Why doesn't he want to go and play Lego and do the things I want to do on a Sunday afternoon? And I never really, I never really clued in into all of this until I got older. And working at churches where you would do four service days in a a weekend and you'd get out there, you'd preach, you'd do the whole thing over and over and over and over again. And I learned this, it doesn't matter if you just preach once in a weekend or if you preach five times in a weekend. For whatever reason, the adrenaline wears off and whatever the science words are happens in your brain and in your body, and you need a nap. I can't count the amount of times where I, I get home on a Sunday afternoon and I go and I lay in my hammock, and it is a beautiful time for me. And I will wake up, like I usually take a book and, uh, at a cola, and I had a cola, and I'll lay down in my hammock, and um, the cola will still be on the ground unopened, and the book will never actually be opened either. And I will wake up a couple hours later, and there's Amberly in the yard. Um, she has company, and they're visiting, and I wake up all groggy from my Sunday afternoon nap in the hammock. This has happened, uh, This happened twice this summer. I apologize to those people. So this is kind of where we've got Jesus right now. Jesus just finished a big ministry day. He preached. He cast out a demon while he was preaching. And I'm because he's Jesus, I'm assuming he went ahead and finished the sermon. So let's continue in the book of Mark and see where this lands now. So after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told, her, they told Jesus about her right away, so he we went to her bedside, took her hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she pre- prepared a meal for them. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch." So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So Father, we, um, we thank you, and we, we're in awe, and we're grateful that we have your words. We thank you that this has been passed down for thousands of years, that we can understand it even now and apply it to our lives even now. So we just thank you for that. We thank you that that was put in place. We thank you that you thought of us. Father, would you um, you help your scripture become alive to us today as we learn from it, as we embrace it, as we desire to be more like your son. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you have your way in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are titling today's message, title it this, Duck, Duck, Goose. The ridiculous children's game that many educators over the years have used to buy them time while they prepared important things. I remember being on a missions trip once and the team was doing this, um, like, a kids camp thing. And they were running out of ideas. And we still had to buy a little more time before the next thing happened. And uh, I remember this game that Amberly used to, to play with kids and kids men. And I said, I have an idea. We're going to do a little something called vegetable garden. Vegetable garden works like this. And this is free information for those of you in... Um, education. You get the child to imagine their favorite vegetable. What are the characteristics of that vegetable? And then you invite them to act like that vegetable for as long as possible. The winner is the one who can stay still the longest. Um... That's free information. You go ahead and use that, Kayla. I'm, I'm sure that's gonna help you in, um, in school. Brian as well, I want, I want credit though, where credit's due. Vegetable garden, everybody. Duck, duck, goose, or, or think of it like this, common people, common problems, but uncommon grace. The ducks are common in the story as you run around in circles. But the goose is uncommon, and far too often, we skip by people over and over and over and over and over again as we run in circles trying to figure out what to do. It sounds a lot like life. We skip by a lot of people that we deem common. Common person, common problems, they'll figure it out. Jesus never really did that. And he had quite a start to his ministry life. Think of it like this. This is how we tend to look at situations. Where where Jesus would look and he would see something uncommon. We, We generally look and see common, but he was fully God. Remember that. Fully God at the same time as being fully man. That is tough to swallow. That is a tough one to to get our brains to wrap around. He was God, but fully man at the same time. And if we back up in the book of Mark to the baptism, he was also fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Fully God, fully man. Now, us, we would look at a situation, and quite often we deem it to be another goose or, sorry, another duck, and we keep going around in the circle, and we generally do nothing. If this was me in this story, I come off of preaching, I have to cast a demon out of a guy while I'm preaching and then continue along and pretend like nothing happened, and by the time I leave the synagogue with my friends, I want to crash on their couch. I want to have a nap and hopefully someone's barbecuing. But they get there and they're like, hey, so Peter's mother, Peter's mother is really sick. I'm like, oh, this would be my response. Let's be quiet then and uh, we'll go hang out in the backyard and we'll let her rest. That would be my response. Jesus sees it as an opportunity for a miracle. I remember this when we were youth pastoring. We, we would go every year to uh, YC in Edmonton. And so we got, uh, you know, you take the youth group. We, uh, we always chartered two, uh, two buses because it was a very spoiled youth group. I hope they're listening. You were spoiled. They're all adults now. So we'd have these two chartered buses, and we'd pack them full of youth, and it'd be fantastic. We'd drive up to Edmonton, and we'd do the whole thing. And about day, I don't know, day one, let's say about day one, I would be tired. I, I don't think we even needed to make it to day two or three before I was tired. Uh, you have that many students that you're in charge of, it's just like, ah, I'm tired. And there's always that one kid at a youth retreat who has a free hug sign. And every year, this student would drive me crazy because it was many students. And our poor teenage girls would be like, oh, he's so lonely, he needs hugs. Like, no, he's creepy, don't touch him. And so you you always have that one guy, right? And I remember we went and we walked to the nearest Taco Bell. And I was with a, a friend of mine from Edmonton area. And he, he's much more holy than I am. I'll, I'll just be honest. Um, and so my, my four, poor friend, he, he and I and our wives, we, we go to Taco Bell, and we're waiting in line. And some of our youth are in there, and along comes the free hug guy. And my poor youth see him, and I see what's about to happen. I'm like, you know no, you don't need a hug from the poor, creepy young man. Unless that was one of you. Um, It's still creepy. Um, Anyway, so we're standing in line, and this guy is like right behind us, and he's holding a sign trying to get free hugs from from people. And so I I just can't take it anymore. It's like, look, man, I don't know what has happened to you. I don't know why you feel the way you do, that you need to hold this sign and try to get attention from people. But please understand, this is an attention grab, and it's weird, and you, I, I wish your youth pastor was here because I, I would ask him to say the same thing, but please, just put the sign in your pocket. And then I turned around because I was that youth pastor. And I turned around, and... Um, proceeded to think about what I was going to order from Taco Bell. And my holier-than-me friend, not in a sarcastic way, he is way holier than I am. He proves that over and over again, and he proved it in this story. He, He turns around and starts praying for the young man. I'm like, come on. I looked at the situation. I had my tiredness about me. I had my frustrations about me. I had the day weighing on me. And I looked at the situation, I was like, this is another common guy with common problems. I'm not dealing with this today. And my friend looked at the situation, he said, but it needs uncommon grace. I saw a duck, he saw a goose. In Christianity over the years, I have noticed has become far more cynical than it needs to we get very wrapped up in what we think things need to look like and how we think people need to act. And we forget that there is grace that needs to be applied on behalf of us as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to the world around us. Far too often, we want to rebuke the guy with with the free hug sign instead of pray with him and see how he's actually doing. On the other hand, there's another thing we tend to do as humans. We, we, we like to become our own hero. So here's the other, the other end of the spectrum. We, we, we can ignore the situation or we want to become the hero of the situation. And we're constantly looking for those shock value moments How can I appear holy to the people around me? Like my buddy in this story, that's not him. He will minister to you if you are sitting by yourself. He will isolate himself from the rest of the group. And and like he he will spend the entire day with you if the Lord asks him to. That wasn't him. But when we're constantly looking for shock value miracles, it only serves our egos. And I hate to say this, but quite often it fulfills the the darkest part of our humanistic nature, and that is our self-gratification. Back to being a youth pastor. Because I got 15 years worth of stories. So if there was this common knowledge that if if you were doing a, a youth rally, and let's say you've got know, common youth rallies back in the day, like three, four hundred kids there, and and you're preaching at this, and you feel like nothing's happening, and you need results, because if you're the youth speaker, you got to get results, and that is a terrible, terrible thing that was happening back then, but you needed results. So the quickest way to get results at a, at a youth rally is you, you do an altar call for lust or porn. It's the, the quickest thing you could do. You're doing a YA rally, do an altar call. Who is feeling lonely tonight? God wants to minister to you. Does anyone feel lonely in your life right now? Well, yeah, they're young adults. Nobody's married. Everybody feels lonely. One of my mentors taught me this this phrase, and he said, you know, don't, it was not really a phrase, more of a mantra, but don't try to grow your youth group. Focus on the people that are in front of you. Focus on the students that are there. Don't try to chase down the ones that you think are going to make your youth program more popular. Focus on who's in front of you, and God will bring you everyone that you need to have in place. Jesus was always focused on the untouchables, on these people that the the religious elite would throw to the side. And those are the ones he ended up rebuking, was the religious elite. I'm very proud of the staff we have here. To, you never know what you're gonna get coming into a church. But the fact that our youth pastor is constantly doing this. Who's in front of me? Who needs Jesus? How can I help? Not once have I heard Pastor Nikki say anything along the lines of, you know, I just don't, I don't think they fit. Never once. And that is a powerful thing. A lot of youth pastors operate under the understanding of, well, we need everything to be cookie cutter. We need people to be holy enough to be around everyone else. Not once. In fact, she goes out of her way to make sure that everyone receives ministry. I'm exceptionally proud to work with her. You guys should buy her more cookies. She likes tea. So, fancy tea, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, Jesus was focused on the untouchables, because they were the people who were in front of him, the people that the religious elite ignored, the people that the religious elite thought, you know, they're not really good enough to be in here. Let's leave them outside, those pesky Gentiles with their problems. Meanwhile, as we learned last week, in the inner courts, you've got People who are God's chosen people manifesting demons. Think about that for a bit. The outsider really formed Jesus' purpose. The people that, up until the point that Jesus came along, weren't good enough, they weren't clean enough, they weren't holy enough. And Jesus came along and said, It's good. It's good. Come to me, all who are weary. And I will give you rest. See, the small miracle in this story in Mark, the small miracle with the fever led to more and bigger miracles in the exact same day because obedience is a gateway to supernatural results. And results in this situation came from A, doing something and denying. His selfish needs. Remember, fully God, fully man. Through the temptation that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he dealt with this stuff. And he came to the conclusion that I don't need that. I don't need to bow to my selfish desires. In the, the parallel in, in the book of Matthew where it talks about the temptation, it was when he was already famished. He was already hungry, and the devil comes along and says, hey, just make the, make the stones into bread. It's all good. He was already hungry. He's already dealt with these temptations of a selfish life. Because of Jesus and his grace for you, you get to think the best and work up to the next level in this. But think about that. Because of Jesus' grace for you, just ponder for a moment what you've been through. What does Jesus need to have grace for you for? For most of us, it's a lot. For most of us, if we didn't have the grace of God in our lives, we'd be going nowhere fast. But because of Jesus and his grace for you, you get to show people uncommon grace. And uncommon grace is distributed by an action that follows a decision. Think of it like this. Grace is something that you kind of train in yourself. Grace is something that you build like a muscle, like faith. You don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and you are just the most graceful person in the world and nothing bothers you and you will pray for anyone everywhere. It's something that you have to apply daily over and over again. It's something that grows inside of you. Uh, This week on Instagram, a preacher that I follow was talking about um, agriculture versus technology. Technology. I don't have a clue what he said, because I didn't click on the sound button. But I saw that word, this agriculture versus technology, and my mind just started racing. And I was like, this is is grace. And, And this is faith. And this is our life in Jesus. We want everything to be instant and we want everything to be fast, because this is where we live. If it's not instant and it's not fast, We don't like it. I could easily go down to the bookstore and order a book, but if I can just sit on Amazon right now on my phone, I got the app and I can order that and it's going to be here in two days. That's way better than me wasting my time going to a store. We want things to be instant. But what if the things of God are far more like agriculture? It takes time. It takes planning, it takes watering, it takes fertilizer, it takes seed. It takes more people than just you. Using grace takes work too. And it often takes a fresh set of eyes. Because it's tough to find out where to apply grace. Because in order to see where grace goes and how to apply it to the people around us, you have to already be using it. And you have to already be understanding that God has poured grace into your life. He has poured forgiveness. He has poured love. He has poured acceptance into your heart. Duck, duck, goose. It's Common people, common problems, and uncommon grace. Let's switch gears on this for a moment as we get ready to close. Obedience in this situation, it trumped the sacrifice of immediate personal need. Jesus, as we already discussed, Jesus sacrificed his need to fulfill his humanity to fulfill his personal needs. Where rest should have needed to happen, Jesus said, no, let's, let's start healing people. Let's reach down. I'm going to start with mother, and, um, and we're going to work our way out from there. 1 Samuel 15, It says that obedience is better than sacrifice, and yes, it works in context as well. So mom here, let's take mom, we'll name her Karen for today's purposes because that's funny. Because of all the Karen memes, get it? That's why it's funny. Anybody? You're not laughing today. And it's just, it's worrisome. Let's take mom in this situation. So her job in the cultural hierarchy of the day was to serve the guests. She was not doing so. She was laying in bed, she was sick, and Jesus came along and changed the narrative. Jesus came along and applied uncommon grace to a common situation. Someone else could have served Jesus. Someone else could have came along and fed the pastor after church. Jesus resupplied purpose for Karen. The miracle gave her the ability to serve Jesus. Now this word serve is used in the book of Mark already in one thirteen. It's Diaconia. And it's the same word that was used when the angels came to minister to Jesus. Un- uncommon grace applied to the situation changed everything. And because of this uncommon grace becoming a way bigger deal than it needed to. It, it affected Peter's timeline. So Peter was new to the club at this time. He was a, a fresh disciple. Seeing this miracle, seeing how Jesus would have come into his home and said, I, I see you, I see you, I see your family, I see what needs to happen here, and taking his time to come and apply healing to Peter's mother-in-law that would have had a huge impact on Peter and his faith walk. Think about even just Peter's mother in general. So she was healed that day. We don't know how severe it was. We don't know how big of a deal it was. But she got out of bed immediately and was able to serve Jesus. Faith and grace are... are, they kind of work the same where when this grace was applied into Peter's mother-in-law's life, faith was built by all the people that were there. And what happened after, after this instance? We don't know, but the result is many people were healed that night. Many people were delivered from demons. Many people's lives were completely changed that very day. What if Jesus would have said, "I am tired, let's go to the backyard. We'll keep it down so she can rest." What if he would have taken the easy out like we like to do? Would all of that other stuff started to happen? Apply that to your life. How many times do you look around and you see a common situation and you just keep walking? How many times do you see a friend who, who, who comes in and they're like, oh, I just got a terrible headache today.
1: Well, that's common.
0: It'll be fine. You'll be fine by morning. Let's go take some Tylenol. Put nice pack on. Or in the name of Jesus be healed how many times do we keep walking calling something common when uncommon grace could be applied and all it takes is a couple moments of your life to step outside of our humanity and say i'm willing to do something there are going to be a lot of ducks in our lives Are you willing to call a duck a goose and call it to a higher level? Are you willing to speak to situations and bring them higher? Let the power of God speak a better word. I've said this about, um, I don't know, a hundred times since I've been here. But the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. We exist to serve, not be served. We read last week in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came to serve, not be served. If we take an opposite stance of that, as Christians, as a church, as citizens, then we're doing something wrong. Son of man came to serve. And if we have Jesus in our hearts and we say that we are Christians, we say that we are following after what Jesus wants for us, we are are following his ways, we wanna be more like him, then perhaps that means we need to find more situations that look common, and see them through God's eyes, and say, "This is not a common situation. This is this is an opportunity for a miracle." And what does it hurt you to take the four minutes to pray? To take the four minutes to invest into somebody's life, as we as we read in in the book of Mark, this was not a long, drug out situation. Jesus didn't go and, and fast for a week, and then and then come with like some written out prayers and and do the whole. No, he, he went in the room, was like, okay, well, sit up. Okay, I'm gonna go now. It doesn't always need to be a big deal. I have seen more things change with small, powerful prayers than I have long drug out events. I remember once in the, the lobby of a church, we were there for a conference, and one of my my friends who flows quite freely in the world of, of prophetic ministry and healing, one of the staff members of the church came up to him and was like, I, you know, I've just been so sick this week. And, uh, you know, and she looked pretty, pretty beaten. And um, she's like, I just, pastor, I just need prayer. I, I just, I'm just... I'm just defeated he's like oh okay well be healed in jesus name and he walked away i was like that's bizarre and then like an hour later like you saw the difference on her we have a purpose in the city of brandon and that is to bring jesus to our city That's why we're here. That's why we do everything we do. We create environments where people can find God. We create environments where people's lives can change. The practice of applying grace to situations around you, it can hurt sometimes. because it's not always comfortable. Because what if you have to talk to people you don't like? What What if you have to invest in the lives of people you know aren't going to be there for very long? What if God is calling you to make friends with someone who has complete and total opposite views of you? Applying grace to the lives around us can hurt us sometimes. It hurts our egos. It hurts our feelings. But know this. It's just growing pains. Because you're turning into Jesus. You are growing more and more like your Savior. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Discipleship takes a long, long time. We don't wake up one day and, wow, look, we're sanctified. It's a lifelong process. But for those of you here this morning who have a tough time applying grace to the situations around you, I'm going to pray for you today. And I'm also going to pray that people have more grace for you. because let's face it, every single one of us is unique. Every single one of us is a little bit odd. I don't know what normal actually means. Because we all think we're normal. And then we judge everyone else based off of what we think is normal, but it's not real. Have more grace for the people around you. Have more grace for the situations around you. And you will watch your perspective change. You will watch how you see people change. You will watch how you you interact with situations will shift. You'll be less angry. You'll be less frustrated. You'll be less depressed. Because you will slowly retrain your brain to think more like Jesus. You will slowly retrain your brain to think of others before yourself. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we get these opportunities to gather together and worship you. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. And this amazing time we had in your presence and worship today. Lord, you know I needed that. Father, as we as we stand here today, Would you help us in our distribution of grace into the city around us? Would you help us in our distribution of grace to the people around us in our daily lives? Father God, would you you give us that empowerment? Would you give us that push? Holy Spirit, would you empower us to be more like Jesus? as we look at situations where we're going to have this week, even today, where we're going to want to say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for this. I have other things to do. God, would you slow us down and would you give us grace for the situation? Would you give us grace for the people? Would you let us see them as you see them? From the people in our family that frustrate us to our neighbors, to the guy at Sobeys who just cut in line, would you give us grace? And Father God, as we we stand here today too, I just pray that people would have more grace for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how powerful you are. We thank you that You've never lost control of one situation. Help us to see where you're standing in the room. Father God, we love you. Would you continue to pour grace into our hearts and into our lives. And help us to apply that to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.